0: Coming up on this episode, we take a trip to Farthingdale Ranch as we talk to author Jackie North about her cowboy romance series. Welcome to episode 326
1: of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction.
0: I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Kanaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers, we are so glad that you could join us for another episode of the show. Since it's summer, it seemed like the perfect time to take a trip to a ranch. What better way to spend
1: some time than with some sexy cowboys? Jackie North's Farthingdale Ranch series fits that bill perfectly. She just released the third book in the series, and with at least three more planned, you can make several return trips to this place. Jackie recently joined me to talk about the series including the latest installment, The Ranch Hand and the Single Dad. And one of the most interesting and frankly unexpected things we talk about is that this series is a spin-off of her Love Across Time time travel series. It was really cool hearing how these series intersect. We also find out why she decided to start up a series about cowboys, and we get details about what's still to come in the series. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here.
2: Hey, thanks for inviting me. It makes a nice break from my usual Sunday laundry and grocery shopping. So, thank you for inviting me.
1: <laughs> Glad to give you a little something different to do on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> right. And we've got fun stuff to talk about. Will and I have been talking about the Farthingdale Ranch series a little bit on the show with this new book coming out and We've noticed that for some reason we were reading a lot of cowboy romance and then we kind of drifted away from cowboy romance. And this series is like, come on back to cowboy romance. So you're in actually book three in your Farthingdale Ranch series. Before we get into The Ranch Hand and the Single Dad, which recently came out, tell us a little bit about Farthingdale Ranch as a series.
2: Well, it was an idea of mine that I wanted to do something different than time travel, but in book two of my time travel series, Love Across Time. The book is called Honey from the Lion. And in it, a guy visits a dude ranch to get away from his job, like you do. And he hears this ghost story about old Joe and his little red fox. And in the morning, he ends up in 1891. My time travel novels, the time travel is not like a sci-fi thing. It just, they happen to go back. Anyway, he falls in love with a guy named John Hinton. And when he comes forward in time, he realizes that John has died and that John is indeed old Joe. So he has to go back in time to save old Joe. And the story of old Joe and the little red fox is then changed. I have a reader. His name is Randall. He's a very passionate reader. I'm glad he's one of mine. He reads a lot. And he says, what happens to the ranch if they're no longer telling that story and what happens to them monetarily? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I never even thought about it. So you have people who work on the ranch. It's a million-dollar business. If you go to a good dude ranch, it's $400 a night. I had no idea. So their bookings must have fallen off. It must have affected the people psychologically. And I thought, huh, I could write romances set in this while they recover, from this person disappearing, Lori it disappears, it's a cold case. So I could have cops coming to the ranch, I could have investigators coming, I can call all kinds of people. So thanks to Randall, this seed was planted in my head and I thought, I really do love cowboys and I would have a lot of fun doing it. So that's how basically the whole idea came around. It's all Randall, I will give him credit for this.
1: That's amazing that you took the time travel novels and built out a contemporary series? Because I'm guessing that time travel doesn't really figure into this series at all. It
2: doesn't at all. Nobody time travels. The one thing is that I keep bringing up is nobody remembers the story of old Joe, except for Bill, who owns the ranch. Because in my mind, somebody's got to be in that universe. There's like two parallel universes now. And the manager, his name is Leland, he says, Bill, you've got to stop talking about it. Nobody remembers that story but you. (laughs) And maybe one day somebody else will show up at the ranch who also remembers the story. But I haven't figured out how that's going to happen yet. And they keep saying, Billy, you're scaring the guests when you go around talking like this. Well, it was real and he was here. Everybody remembers Lori because he's disappeared and he maybe died and they don't know. Contemporary is what most readers enjoy. And then you have, you know, the subgenres. And I thought, well, I can't do billionaires and I don't want to do bikers Although there's some great biker books out there, I thought Cowboy suits me and the kind of story that I like to write. So it was a really good match.
1: And this is one of those things too, where you can play with so many tropes because the two guys you bring together can be for really anything, you know, as long as they show up on the ranch together.
2: Right. As long as they're there. And you're, one of your questions that you gave me, was it fun to come up with the titles? So I'm going to say the answer is yes. I have a thousand sticky notes, as everybody knows. And what I did was I took all the tasks of a ranch. You got ranch hand, you got trail boss, you got foreman, you got groundskeeper, you know, it just went on and on and on. About, there was about 30 of them. And then I listed all the sort of people that I would like to write about, drifters and ex-cons and orphans and single dads. And I put those on another set. And then I started moving the pieces around. So Unlike all my other stories, which come from an idea that you get in the shower while driving, those are the two places, I have the titles first. So these titles are based on like Barbara Cartland used to be a romance writer back in the 70s, 90 pages, it was like candy. And in my head, she was always writing the X and the X right? The Prince and the Showgirl. The, well, that's actually a Marilyn Monroe movie. And I found out that only a very few are the blah, 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 and the blah, blah, blah. Love and the Marquis is one, the Prince and the Pekingese, but most of them are Saved by the Duke, the Earl in Peril, the Poor Governess. I'm like, oh, I love those titles. I thought I reinvented the wheel, but I didn't. Lots of people do the X and the Y because that gives you what it's about. It's about a ranch hand and a single dad or the foreman and the drifter. So that was tons of fun. It was like three weeks of playing in a sandbox, moving sticky notes around. I didn't have to write a word. And then of course I had to start the series. So that's how that came about. It was tons of fun. Then I told Angsty G was my cover artist. She did a brilliant job and she put together a bunch. And then I figured out which cover matched which title then I had to come up with outlines and the story. That's when the real work began.
1: You got the fun stuff out of the way with the titles and the covers.
2: Right, yeah, yeah. It was tons of fun, tons. Of fun.
1: And then, of course, you get to play with the tropes because just because you've got a ranch hand and a single dad, single dad gives you a little bit of a trope idea, but then there's all the stuff to build off of it.
2: Right, right. Like, how old is the child? What kind of child? Why is he a single dad? What kind of ranch hand is he? The thing I've been doing with my series is that in each book I bring up, a bunch of characters. And then I kind of asked my readers before I settled on the order, who do you want to read about next? So if you read book one, Clay gets mentioned. Clay is in book three. He's in all the books because he's like a ranch hand. He's doing all this work. So doing it this way made it easy to bring in other characters to remind readers, hey, there's other books and they're about this guy and that guy. And and people have been asking for Levi. Is Levi next? I'm like, no, it's the Wrangler. And so Levi is going to be in book six five, he's the cook. And the gangster is a very bad, bad boy. So that (laughs) that one's going to be fun to write, I think. They all are fun. I enjoy it very much.
1: What was your process for creating the ranch itself, which actually would now go back to the other series since it cropped up in the time travel series first?
2: Right. What I did was when I came up with the idea, oddly, I had an idea. I wanted them to be near a place called Iron Mountain in honey from the lion. So he's going to go to some a dude ranch by iron mountain because iron attracts metal. And when the meteor shower comes, the meteors are trying to get back to iron mountain. And that's when you can make your wish. So I had it in my head. So I, I put in the words iron mountain. Of course, I got the uh, security document destroying company, right? They will destroy documents for you or store them. It's called iron mountain. And there is a place called iron mountain in Wyoming. And I thought, huh? look at this. And right by it is a town called Farthing. And I thought, oh, I'll call it Farthingdale Ranch. And so it ha- kind of has a juncture of two rivers. So I thought, well, I'll put it between the rivers and it developed from the geography. There is no town in Farthing. There is a railroad crossing and that's it. In the 60s, there used to be a real stop there. And I recently discovered there's a ranch called Farthing Ranch, but it's like a, a guy who raises cattle and it's not a dew ranch of any kind. So I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't mind. I kind of borrowed his location. (laughs) So that's how that developed. And Farthingdale is actually a quarter acre of land. And it's also a piece of clothing meant to shape the body in the 1500s. So, you know, it can mean anything you want it to mean at this point.
1: How much did you have to learn about dude ranches?
2: I have done a lot of research, as anyone who reads my books will tell you. I almost have too much information by the time I start writing. But on YouTube, there's a series called Guest Ranches, and I just started watching all these guest ranches. And then I looked up ranching jobs. If you want to work on a guest ranch, they have lists and descriptions of jobs that you do. So I'm like, okay, this is too much information. You don't need to know this. And then I would just keep going. So the funnest part was looking up dude ranches I might visit and then finding how much it was and realizing I couldn't afford it. And I did a lot. It was just hours. You know, when you're done for the end of the day, you turn on YouTube and you just sort of plonk around and see what you can find out. And that's, that's pretty much how this happened. I don't have any books on ranching because I figured they're all out of date anyway by the time I'd get a hold of them. So it's all online these days. All day. It's
1: convenient as the YouTube series, though. Yes. Like it was like it was just built for you to do research off of.
2: Yes. And, and, the, and they have their philosophies and the kind of experience that you'll have while you're there and their concerns. They're talking about, you know, we want to make sure that our guests know that there are rattlesnakes on the edge of the property or whatever. And... I think they don't actually mention that, but you can kind of hear them. Well, we're out on the edge of the wilderness, or we're in Montana or Idaho, and it's, you know, we're not near a city. So you'll get a break from the city life. Well, that means bears and snakes to me. So, yeah, it was good. It was Just good in time. case
1: you weren't considering those things. Right. <laughs> what would you say is the most interesting thing you learned about your guest rancher, dude ranch research?
2: I think the amount of money that they make, it's a million dollar business. Here I'm thinking it's like, you go to a hotel, depending on the hotel, $150, $200, or $70 if you go to a a Super 8 or whatever, it's $400, $500 a night. And you can do a package deal, but it's still thousands and thousands of dollars. I had no idea. And then from there, I started imagining the level of quality that would be given at Farthing Ranch, kind of like Disney. You go to Disney, everything's clean. They got people working all night long. So I could have people doing, you know, 12 hour days. I could really make my ranch hand work. And then he wouldn't have time to see his little single dad boyfriend. And that would cause a little tension between them. And why doesn't everybody write ranch hand stories? I don't know. <laughs> it's so much fun.
1: And tell us about Clay and Austin from the ranch hand and the single dad. What's going on in this book?
2: Well, Clay has been a staple for the first two books, Foreman and the Drifter and the Blacksmith and the X-Con, because he's a ranch hand. He's everywhere, all over the ranch. And he is adorable. He's about 5'10". He's got dimples and blue eyes. And he's kind of on the sturdy side, nice and juicy, as I like to say. I mean, I half fell in love with him while I was writing him. And he goes to bars to have one-night stands, and he's looking for love. And he's, it's starting to sour. He's tried dating various people on the ranch. He's not thinking this through. He's young enough to imagine that one night stands are going to find him true love. And I had Randall goes for a moment reading the first chapter. I didn't know if this was a Jackie North story because normally it's the Waltons meets Brokeback Mountain or Little House meets Brokeback Mountain. It's not high steam. And so I'm starting off with high steam. Anyway, he gets into a fight at the bar because he's young and, you know, vibrant. Now he's got a black eye and a split lip and boss Leland says, you can't be customer facing. I don't want you with the customers. I don't want them thinking this is that kind of place. So he says, my job for you is to go off and pick up the accountant that I've just hired. Now, all this time, Leland's been doing the accounting. He's been working 14 hour days. Ranch is doing better. So Clay is like, oh, I don't want to drive to pick up the accountant, but they instantly hit it off. They become very good friends. And that was something Wendy Ratbone and I talked about. I thought, how can I create this dynamic. She goes, just have them be friends. And pretty much Clay is the only person Austin knows on the ranch. And so he keeps seeking him out. And Austin's the nerdy accountant. He's very pale, dark ginger hair and bad marriage. She was psychologically abusive to him. And he's just cut and run. He's going to go up to Wyoming and make a clean start of it. So it's opposites attract, I think. But they have this common idea that life could be good if you let it. So that's kind of what brings them together. They enjoy the same things, very quiet. You know, Clay on the outside is, woo, I'm gonna go party. And on the inside, he's very quiet. so he meets his match in Austin. So I think they were, they were fun to write. They're very romantic. Typically in any of my stories, there's the dance that is held several times in the ranch week for the guests. So of course there's a dance, but in this one, Clay can't dance. So he and Austin go beyond the pines and they dance in, in the amidst the pine trees. And they can hear the music from a distance, but they're not on the dance floor because Clay can't dance. You think, oh, heroes should be perfect. They should dance, they're suave, they have tons of money, not Clay. He thinks he's good at a lot of things, but he can't dance. He can shoot a rifle very far, but he's afraid of snakes. So he's a bundle of contradiction.
1: A ranch hand who's afraid of snakes. He might be in the wrong business, I don't know.
2: (laughs) Well, he almost got bit by a rattlesnake. And so he's a little freaked out by that.
1: And how does Austin's child play into this?
2: Well, Austin was married to Mona. Mona and Austin share custody. So she goes off to New Orleans. While he's at the ranch, she goes, Well, you gotta take her or I'll, I'll just hand her over to Mrs. Delgado. And B, that's the daughter. She's about nine. She doesn't like it at Mrs. Delgado's. So he says, I will come and get you. He's ready to give up his job because B is important to him. And Mona was kind of controlling the visitation strings and all that. So he gets her. And of course, she's at the ranch. What does a nine-year-old girl want to do on a guest ranch? She wants to ride the horses and have cowboy boots and a hat. And so, of course, everyone loves her because she's adorable. So she really fits in very well. And then you'd have to read the story to find out, does she stay on the ranch or does Mona come back? And all that good stuff.
1: I see that being a lot of drama.
2: Yes, it is a lot of drama. And Clay (laughs) falls in love with her right away because she appeals to his inner dad right? He wants to be a daddy. He wants to be responsible. He just didn't even know it until he met her.
1: What would you say your favorite scene to write in the book was?
2: My favorite scene, I think, is Austin's secret hobby is to paint. He uses watercolor. He paints landscapes. He's no good at people, he says. But one morning after the two of them go out to look at a view, Austin goes, oh, I need to find a view to paint. And the play says, well, I'll take you. He's always volunteering. And they go out and paint. And Clay imagines that Austin is only painting the view. The next morning he wakes up and the view includes a little picture of him. He's sketched in shadowy watercolor in the corner and he knows it's him because it's got blonde hair and this hat that he was wearing. He goes, oh my God, he painted me. So he sticks it up on his wall and he just you know and I just thought, wouldn't that be the sweetest thing if someone painted you and they didn't tell you and there's this painting view. So I think that was my favorite scene.
1: That is super sweet. <laughs>
2: The whole book is like this. And that's how I write. I was talking with Annabeth Albert recently, and she says, don't try and raise the steam just to raise the steam. You got to be true to the kind of story that you write, which is long and emotionally satisfying and hopefully good characters. It's not about, you know, the shimmy, shimmy, sexy, fun times. It's about the connection between the characters and things that you do for someone that you love or want to love, like the painting. So that's just the way it is. Jeff, it's going to be sweet, and you're going to need insulin after you read one of my books.
1: So this is about halfway through the Farthingdale series. What's still to come? What can you tease?
2: Oh, I can tease. I have three more books, and the covers are already done, so that's not holding me back, just me. And the next one's going to be The Wrangler and the Orphan, and The Wrangler is Brody Calhoun, who readers have already met. Hopefully my books you could read them as standalones. I put in enough information and that's what reviewers are saying. Oh, you don't have to read the rest of them to read this one. And it's going to be about how Brody rescues this kid, right? Cause I'm all about the rescue trope and brings him to the ranch and what happens between them. The book after that is book five. It's cook and the gangster and the cook is established as kind of this a little bit hoity toity from back East, but why is he here in Wyoming? And who is the gangster? Well, the gangster is an old friend of his. And the gangster's got to get out and comes to the ranch because, hi, I found you. <laughs> and the cook is like, oh, no, no, you can't be here. So it's friends to enemies to lovers, hopefully. And the last one's called the trail boss and the brat, because those were the two that fit together on the wall. And the trail boss is Quint McKay, who readers have already met. And if Jasper is grumpy with a heart of gold, Quint is just grumpy. He will not put up with anybody's messing around he wants to do adventure trail rides right which is a little more you know three matches and a pile of salt and you kill your own food as you go and Leland's like no that's too dangerous for guests and Quince's like I think it would be a money maker and they've been talking about it this whole time all three books mention this and so in book six he's going to get his chance of course it all goes horribly wrong <laughs> because you can't take a brat on an adventure trail ride and expect things to turn out well so the brat does not like to follow the rules that's of course
1: not Because if he did, he wouldn't be the brat.
2: Right. And there wouldn't be a story. It would just be an adventure ride. And then they come home.
1: So Farthingdale, as we've talked about a little bit, is vastly different than Love Across Time. And you actually made a box set of that last fall. So now everybody can get those six books all in one bundle. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about Love Across Time.
2: Well, the idea was I knew that readers liked series so they can go from one book to the next. And I thought, oh, I'll do a time travel, gay romance, because I love this movie called Somewhere in Time with Jane Seymour and Christopher. I, you it. know, love it, right? And I thought, oh, and the mechanism for time travel isn't like in science fiction where there's a machine or a pill that you take or something. It's just you step into a room and you're in another time. I thought, this is a perfect fit for me because I love historicals and I hope to do more with that someday. And I love time travel because who doesn't? So I thought, oh, I'll write six of them. And I came up with loose concepts and it turns out that three of the books, Honey from the Lion, Ride the Whirlwind, and Wild as the West Texas Wind are related because Lori, who travels, time travels, leaves two friends behind and they miss him very much. Well, it turns out they also travel back in time and they go to find Lori because they realize what year it is. And what they did was they received a letter via Western Union from Lori saying, I'm fine. And they're like, what do you mean he's in the past? That's impossible. And they both go and they find him. They manage to go back in time through some mechanism. It doesn't matter. You step into a room and those three are related, but the other three aren't. And that was a little confusing. I could have planned that better, but all of them share the theme of finding true love across time. And mostly they go back in the past, but in the first book and the last book, the old fashioned boy comes forward in time because I wanted to kind of tie it together. So that was a lot of fun to write because I got to do different eras and different research, tons and tons of time doing that. And the box set was fun to put together because you can give it two readers for one price and they can just read all the books in a row without
1: stopping. It's always scared me, the idea of writing a time travel book, because there's always those rules you kind of have to pay attention to about not messing up the past and right. things like that. And yet I love Somewhere in Time where... That wasn't really a consideration there. There was a lot of things that you just exactly. accept that it was kind of happening. Yes. What kind of rules did you put for yourself around the time travel?
2: I wanted it to be based in something that had happened. So for example, there's World War One, which is the first book. And when did the war start for US? When did the boys go over from this country to France? When was the war over? How was the battle? I guess it's the big battle that happens in the middle of the war along the trenches in France and Germany. How did that go? What was that like? So the cute guy from the present goes back and he has a very realistic experience. When he goes back, he eats the food, he experiences the weather. That I made myself stick to the facts as much as possible. For example, wild as West Texas wind, there's Blackjack and his gang. It's a real gang. And they really did go to XYZ location to rob a train. One of the guys used to be in the hole in the wall game, which Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So I made sure the year was right and that the time of year was for the right time to do that train robbing experience and that there was a hotel. And all of these things are factual. As far as the time travel aspect, I didn't even think about it till Randall brought it up. Well, what are you going to do when you've changed this thing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. They're just falling in love is all. (laughs) So I didn't have them like meet any famous characters. They don't stop the Titanic from sinking. Although that would be a fun story. Nothing like that. They didn't interact in any way in the bigger picture of history. Although Lori says at the end of Honey, we're going to move to Trinidad, Colorado. And John's like, why? Well, we're going to start a hotel because nothing ever bad happens in Trinidad. There's no floods, no fire raised the town no huge sickness. They had a a couple of train lines coming through, pretty industrious town. I even found, I wouldn't call it a telephone book, but it was a directory of businesses from 1892. So I was able to name the the luncheon place that uh, the character goes to for lunch is a real place that existed at the time. But as far as any paradoxes, the only one is that the ranch now doesn't know the story of old Joe. Everything else is like somewhere in time. It just is. So just go back to 1891 or 1932 or 1914 and enjoy the story. The one thing I did do was in It's for the Love of a Ghost. He goes back in time, right, to 1914. And lo and behold, there's a a newsboy named Stanley, who is the guy in book one that goes forward in time. And he even mentions it. When I wrote Heroes for Ghosts, he goes, oh, yeah, I used to be a paperboy. And that stuck in my head the whole time. And I thought, well, if it's 1914 and we're in Harlan, then he would be a paperboy. So here he is. He's got a cameo in book six. So that's the other thing you can do with time travel is you can take your characters and and weave them together. Easter eggs. It's totally fun to do.
1: Do you imagine at some point that you might spin off more from that series in the same way that you did Farthingdale? Did you leave yourself any other obvious hooks there?
2: Well, readers have wanted sequels. They want to know how they're getting on. So these days, what I do is I write an epilogue and a bonus scene, right? So these sequels would be like bonus scenes. How are they doing a couple of years on? So that's the only thing I would do with that. As for Farthingdale, I might do a 2.0. It'd be kind of like the love boat on the ranch. It wouldn't involve people who work there, unless you go to, what was it? Isaac ran the bar and Julie was the cruise director. They were like peripheral to the romance that's happening. So I might do that because the ranch has so much potential. You know, there's you could have an accident in the barn or something, I don't know.
1: So let's go back in your timeline. Okay. What got you started writing?
2: Well, I was a very bad student in elementary school. I just didn't pay attention. And in fourth grade, Mrs. Hart gave me the assignment, uh, the back of a Reader's Digest. You're supposed to write a story about the image, which is two kids flying a kite, and then there's a bear on the other side. And my story was they lose the kite, they go into the woods to take it, they encounter the bear, it's very scary, and then they run out and know better than to go in the woods again. And she wrote, this is a great story, I love your ending. This is in red ink like they used to do back in the day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm a writer because somebody told me I was. Then in, I think it was seventh grade, I got a letter from a teacher from school. So I'm like, I opened it before my parents saw it because I was terrified. And it says she has great creative writing ability and should be encouraged in this. And I'm like, "Okay, this is the second person that's told me I'm a good writer. I must be a writer. And so I decided that's what I was going to be because I was always making up things in my head and had no idea it was a, like a skill that pe- some people don't have the storytelling ability they can draw or they can make music, and this is mine. And so I just kept up with it over, over time. So since the fourth, fourth grade, I figured I was a writer.
1: That's Even wonderful like, to have teachers who not only put A's on your paper, but so much overtly kind of push the student to go forward and think about being a writer and tell the parents to encourage that. That's wonderful.
2: It is. And I met Mrs. Haar. I met her years and years later at a breakfast place. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Mrs. Har!" And I told her, I was able to tell her how much that note meant to me. And she goes, oh, that's good. She was much older, as was I. But yes, it is. Uh, teachers like that are just worth
1: their weight. And what drew you into writing Romance?
2: Well, that's what I read. You know, you read what your older sisters read, and they're reading Barbara Cartland and Joanna Lindsay and Laverle Spencer, and you just read what they're reading. One sister was reading sci-fi, so I read a little bit of that. And I kind of got into Star Trek that way and all that kind of stuff. But it was just, my family's house was full of books. So I would be reading in math class and the teacher would write home a note. She's reading in math class. She needs to stop. And my parents would go, at least she's reading. You know, they weren't really bothered by that. So I did a lot of reading what my older sisters did, probably way, way older than I should have been reading, you know, at a level or intimacy levels. STEAM, let's say. I was reading STEAM way before I should have been reading STEAM.
1: What sent you down the path to write with LGBTQ characters in that romance?
2: Well, one day I was at a Star Trek convention and Leonard Nimoy was there. He was speaking. It was standing room only. We had snuck in the back. We didn't pay. Don't tell anyone. And someone in the crowd, you know how they do, they asked, have you ever heard of KS and have you ever read any? Now back in the day, way a long time ago, before the internet, if you had written a story about two characters in a romantic relationship, you would put their initials and then a slash between them, we called it slash. Today it's called something else. The young kids have changed that to blend words. So for example, if you're writing about Steve and Bucky from Captain America, it's stucky. So that's changed. But back in the day it was KS and it was slash. And so as the question is asked, Everybody groans. It's 2,000 people standing room only. And oh, and I'm like, what is the problem? And she my sister goes, Kirk and Spock are lovers in KS. And I'm like, of course they are. Because I had seen it. I had written like a Star Trek fan story. And I got on a date with Chekhov, right? And that was my fantasy. And at the I drew a little drawing, and at the other end of the table, Kirk and Spock are sitting together. So I knew even before I knew. Years I spent reading. KS and the Blake seven and Starsky and Hutch. And my friend reads wise guys. And to me, it was just normal. That's just the way it was men fall in love with men. It was so what big deal, right? And so as I worked in the professional industry, I was a tech writer for many years. I realized not everybody thought the way that I did. So I kind of had to keep it on the down low between me and all the other fans, which are luckily online now. And I just became an ally and a supporter because to me, yeah, fall in love with whom you want to. And also comparing KS or any other male-male romance with het romance, the dynamic is different. If you have a man and a woman in a story and people can argue with me about this, the dynamic is already predetermined. Years of training and you know reading material. And when you get into a relationship story with two men, You can make the dynamic what you want to make it. You are not hemmed in by, you know, society's expectations. If you make a woman the rich one and the guys the poor one, you're like, well, that just feels off. Not because it is, just because that's the way society does it. But if you do it in a romance with two guys, which one needs to be the rich one and which one needs to be the poor one? And what do you want to do with that? It like frees you from having external expectations about how to write that story. And I feel very strongly about that. My sister's always going, you should write het romance. I'm like, you don't get to tell me what to write. Nobody gets to tell you what to write or who to love. And I feel very, very strongly about it. So years in the making, I think I started in the early 1990s. That's 30 years of, of believing this. And my dad was in the Air Force and you know, we lived on bases and there was just every kind of person from all over the world. So to me, it's just more normal than I think it is for, for you go out into the real world, real in quotes, People that don't think like this all over the place, which is a shame, they will eventually.
1: So Hopefully. Who are some of the authors that inspire the stories that you write?
2: Fan fiction started me on the road to being inspired as to what writing could be. The first fan fiction story I ever read was called Vagabonds by Della Van Ice. And she wrote about Kirk and Spock, I think it's being stranded on a planet and she used words I had never heard of. I had to go look them up and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can do this with a story? You can go to this depth because as you know, if you walk through the airport, you pick up the book and it's just bland, pedestrian, you know, it's cookie cutter. It's terrible. So that started me on the road to realizing you could do a lot more things with writing if you go deep and you trust yourself to speak the words and to bring it to the surface. So then as I'm reading MM romance, because you're supposed to read in your genre, I think the best book I have ever read is a book called Over and Over Again by Cole McCade. And I have written Cole to let them know how much I love this story because it's like 600 pages long and it goes into depth about every curly cue of every piece of bread and lock of hair and, you know, the scent of grass. And I'm like, oh, this is good. Now, I think a lot of readers don't want to work that hard. You have to kind of work to read Cole's book because it does go very deep. And sometimes you just want to have fun with it. You know, you just want to have a fun story that's got a lot of You know, that it's high steam, as they say. And I love to read those myself. They make a nice break from real life. But that is the book that inspires me the most to this day.
1: What do you think the trademarks of your stories are for reading?
2: Well, Walton's meets Brokeback Mountain, (laughs) they're long. They typically are very long. They tend to be emotionally satisfying, I hope, rather than exotic or erotica or high steam. Again, very fun. I go into the characters a lot. You're going to get real well-developed characters, long, and it's gonna be a satisfying read. And This is something Annabeth Albert told me when I was talking to her recently. She's another author. I think she writes, she writes better than I do, but she writes the same kind of story. It's about the characters and the growth that they go through, more literary style. And she's the one who told me, well, it's don't try and find readers that are want high steam. Go after readers who already want what you write. Don't change who you are to satisfy the market. There is always two market writing, but the degree which you go towards that is up to you. Do you want to change yourself and turn yourself inside out? You know, I am not Kylie Newhall. I cannot write hot and steamy and fun all at the same time. That's just not who I am. And Kylie can do it and she does it really well. But I think what Annabeth Albert was saying is don't be somebody else. Be who you are. Write those long stories, write a satisfying character development, you know, and, and maybe they'll kiss by chapter 103. That's okay. <laughs> That's what readers expect from me by this time. So I'm just going to keep going.
1: Is there a genre, a theme, a trope, something like that, that you have wanted to take a plunge on, but <laughs> haven't quite done it yet?
2: I would like to write Daddy Boy. I was talking. I know at some conference someone said, Oh no, that market's saturated. You don't want to write daddy boy. Well, it's really as hot as fire. Even years later. And I thought, well, if I wrote one, it might be that, but maybe not, maybe that's just not for me either, but they're fun to read. So if you enjoy something, you might as well write it. So I'm still thinking about that one. That would be the one. I want to go back to historicals. I love writing, you know, in the old times, 1890 is a really good year because you have some technology like trains, but you don't have electricity yet or phones. So you kind of take out the ease of communication and that can cause some drama or some angst. So that's another one I'd like to do. So Daddy Boy and historicals. Maybe I ought to do both.
1: Sure. Combine those. Why not? Why not? What's something you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners?
2: What I really enjoyed, I am the beta reader for Wendy Rathbones and her Omega series especially is Terrifically good. I don't even know how many books she's got now. I'd never read any Alpha Omega stories before. I had read Teen Wolf, which has kind of the same themes. But those ones, I was like, this can't be any good. I don't think I'll enjoy them, but it's windy. So I got a beta read for her, right? She's my friend. And I was like, these are really good. The dynamic is interesting and the complications that arise from having a faded mate or from being with someone you don't really like, or just all the regular romance stuff, couched in a world where it's all Omegas wolf shifters without shifting. And then the men have babies. And I'm like, That's, that can't be any good, but it is. It's super good. The whole Omega series that Wendy did, I inhaled that thing. Susie Hawks got a bunch, as I understand. So I'm like, huh, maybe I ought to read those two. Those are so fun.
1: Fantastic. And what more can you share about what's coming up for you next? We've talked a little bit about what's coming up in Farthingdale. Is there anything else you can share?
2: Well, I have a couple projects that are still in the outlining stage, I'd like to write more rescue stories. So what happens in my time travel and on the ranch, you get rescued from a place that's terrible. You don't have shoes or you don't have enough to eat or clean sheets or uh, a hot shower. If you've ever gone camping, Jeff, and you come back after a week to your own hot shower, it's like a miracle, isn't it? You're like, oh my gosh. And you're so grateful for that hot shower and the sheets that are clean and These things that people take for granted, I know I do. When I write about them, I become very aware of them. So I like to write about rescues and orphans. And I don't mean like three-year-old orphans. I mean, you know, 19 and 20-year-old orphans who are disenfranchised from their world. They don't have a family. They've been abandoned or they've had to run away. So I'm looking at a series for that. I don't know who's going to do the covers. And isn't that the funnest part is to get those covers because I find them to be very inspirational and i work with some great cover artists. Angsty G is the most recent one. And who knows who'll be next? I got a big list and I might sit there and just come up with the titles like I did before because that worked really well for me because it helps me visualize. So orphans are coming, maybe some sequels, and then who knows? Next year is not quite planned as well as it ought to be. All the rest of the cool kid authors, they're already planned all the way through next year. I'm like, some of these guys are super good and super fast and it's hard to keep up, but as Annabeth said, do not compare yourself to other authors, right? That's we're right. all in this together and we're all working to build our own careers and I'm like, okay, thank you, Annabeth. That
1: helps. She's me. a wise one. She is. <laughs>
2: she sure is. And she's sensible and her book's like, oh, I like this. I like her writing. I like the style. There's a couple other authors like her. A.M. Arthur is one I've heard about, but I have never read. So those, that's the direction I'm going to go. I'm going to read authors who write long, satisfying stories with great characters rather than hot, sexy, steamy <laughs> that's just not my thing.
1: And how can people keep up with you online to get the news on when these things do start to come out?
2: Well, I have a website. It's www.jackynorth.com, And from there, you can sign on my newsletter. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, BookBub. I am not yet on TikTok because I am, you know, this interview with you, you make me feel very comfortable. But what do you film on TikTok? Your book? The cool kid authors are doing it. So I'm going to check it out. But I've also had the advice that you can have too many social media places. You can, you know, diversify yourself. So you wear your too thin, spread too thin. So I'm like, mm, I like Instagram because it's images. I don't like Twitter because other political things come up at me when I'm there. So I'm like, oh, I don't know. But you also get horses and cowboys. So there's a benefit there.
1: Stick with the horses and the cowboys. <laughs> I
2: think so. I think so too.
1: Well, Jackie, it has been so wonderful catching up with you. Best of success as Farthingdale Ranch continues, and we look forward to see what's coming up next.
0: Hey, thank you. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks to
1: Jackie for talking to us about the Farthingdale Ranch series. I loved so much hearing about the research that she did to get all the stuff about ranch life correct, all the jobs that happen on the ranch, and also the bit of a process that she went through to figure out how to do the pairings, like the ranch hand and the single dad and the other cool titles that she's got in this series. It was really an enjoyable conversation.
0: All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Thursday on episode 327, we are back with another round of reviews along with a look at some of the other books that are coming out in the last half of the month.
1: We mentioned in the first episode of this month that there were a ton of books in August, so we really had to split this up because there's so much good stuff to talk about. You're not going to want to miss it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.